We'll, we'll go. Hey, can I can I stop you? I don't mean to be rude. Let's take care. Let me take care of that afterwards, if you don't mind, okay? Because I don't want to get us going thinking about something uh, away from the lesson, okay? So let's go. Yeah, we'll do it. We'll do it in a moment here. Isaiah thirty-six, uh, verse one. I want you to notice first of all Hezekiah's problem. Hezekiah's problem. It's a major problem, and it's a problem that needs to be addressed. And um, it's a problem that brings great fear on the nation. Well, on Judah, we have the split kingdom. So look at verse 1. Now it came to pass in the 14th year of King Hezekiah that Sennacherib, king of Assyria, came up against all the fortified cities of Judah and took them. Then the king of Assyria sent Rabshakeh with a great army from Lachish to King Hezekiah at Jerusalem. And he stood by the aqueduct from the upper pool on the highway to the fuller's field. And Eliakim, the son of Hilkiah, who was over the household, Shebna, the scribe, and Joah, the son of Asaph, the recorder, came out to him. Then Rabshakeh said to them, Say now to Hezekiah, Thus says the great king, the king of Assyria, what confidence is this in which you trust? I say you speak of having plans and power for war, but they are mere words. Now in whom do you trust that you rebel against me? Look, you are trusting in the staff of this broken reed, Egypt, on which if a man leans, it will go into his hand and pierce it. So is Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to all who trust in him. But if you say to me, we trust in the Lord our God, is it not he whose high places and whose altars Hezekiah has taken away and said to Judah and Jerusalem, you shall worship before this altar? Now therefore I urge you, give a pledge to my master, the king of Assyria, and I will give you 2,000 horses if you're able, on your part, to put riders on them. How then will you repel one captain of the least of my master's servants and put your trust in Egypt for chariots and horsemen? Have I now come up without the Lord against this land to destroy it? The Lord said to me, go up against this land and destroy it. So we have the enemy of Judah coming, he sends a, a caravan, if you would, of soldiers to Jerusalem to speak to King Hezekiah. He calls out Hezekiah, and he actually taunts him. The advancement of the enemy comes upon them, and he is wanting to let them know that if they would surrender themselves to the king of Assyria and pledge to his master... They would take care of him and give him horses. And of course, uh, we know that Hezekiah loves the Lord. He's a good king. And he's not about to bow the knee to the king of Assyria. But this is a problem. Because the Assyrian army up to this point has wiped out many nations. They've wiped out many people. And he knows what's happening. They're coming. Now, in verse 11, watch what happens. Then Eliakim, Shebna, and Joah said to Rabshakeh, Please speak to your servants in Aramaic, for we understand it, 
And do not speak to us in Hebrew in the hearing of the people who are on the wall. These men who represented King Hezekiah did not want the Jewish people to hear them speaking in Hebrew because they would become frightened, fearful, and that they would be discouraged. Look at verse 12. But Rabshakeh said, Has my master sent me to your master and to you to speak these words and not to the men who sit on the wall who will eat and drink their own waste with you? Then Rabshakeh stood and called out with a loud voice in Hebrew and said, Hear the words of the great king of Assyria. Thus says the king, Do not let Hezekiah deceive you, for he will not be able to deliver you. Nor let Hezekiah make you trust in the Lord, saying, The Lord will surely deliver us. This city will not be given into the hand of the king of Assyria. Do not listen to Hezekiah, for thus says the king of Assyria, Make peace with me by a present, and come out to me, and every one of you eat from his own vine, and every one from his own fig tree, and every one of you drink the waters of his own cistern. Until I come and take you away to a land like your own, a land of grain and new wine, a land of bread and vineyards. Beware lest Hezekiah persuade you, saying, The Lord will deliver us. Has any one of the gods of the nations delivered its land from the hand of the king of Assyria? We are the gods of Hamath and Arpad. Where are the gods of Seravim? Indeed, Have they delivered Samaria from my hand? Who among all the gods of these lands have delivered their countries from my hand that the Lord should deliver Jerusalem from my hand? But they held their peace and answered him not a word, for the king's commandment was, Do not answer him. Then Eliakim, the son of Hilkiah, who was over the household, Shibna the scribe, Joah the son of Asaph, the recorder came to Hezekiah with their clothes torn and told him of the words of Rabshakeh. It's interesting to me that this, even though it's fresh to Hezekiah, it's as old as the first trick. Remember that commercial years ago when uh, they had the first trick in the book and he said, look over there. And he made you look and he said, trick number one. I don't know if you all remember that commercial, but it was a funny commercial. This is nothing more than the exact same thing the devil's been doing in the garden. And I want to tell you there's no other, there's no other problem than this problem. Every problem you face will be the same problem with dealing with the enemy. First of all, you will see the advancement of the enemy. The enemy comes. The enemy always comes to where you are. The enemy found Eve in the garden. The enemy is now challenging the nation of Israel, the tribe of Judah actually, the divided kingdom. He is challenging them, but ultimately he is challenging God. He says that Hezekiah is going to tell you that God's going to deliver you, but you don't believe him because none of the other gods have been able to deliver any of the other nations. You see, what he's doing is the enemy is putting the God, capital G-O-D, he is humanizing him and bringing him down to the level of little gods, G-O-D-S. 
Little g, ODSs. There's no comparison, but he'll always do this. The, an- the enemy always advances. Secondly, the enemy always taunts. The enemy always taunts. I'm not going to speak in Aramaic. I come to speak to you guys. I'm not speaking to the people on the wall. But they're going to drink. I don't know if you remember what he said. They'll drink their own waste with you. They'll eat and drink their own waste with you. He's taunting them. He looks at them and says, listen, your God's not going to be able to deliver you. Hezekiah's going to come, going to give you this speech, and you're going to be wiped out with him. You're going to be wiped out with him. You cannot trust in God. Look at all the other nations. Pledge Pledge yourself to my master. Is that not what Jesus was told by Satan when he was tempted? He took him up on the pinnacle and laid him out. And he said, listen, I'll give you all these, the kingdoms of the world, if you'll just bow to me. The enemy always wants you to pledge to his <coughs> master. All throughout Israel, all throughout the Old Testament, all throughout the New Testament, we see the same thing over and over and over again. After he pledges to my master, discourage your peers. That's what they want to do. They want to get everybody else around you discouraged. Why? Misery loves company. It's the same MO. It's the same same procedure all throughout the scriptures. And then lastly, the enemy always threatens you with bondage. If you don't come with me, you're going to be bound. You're going to be stuck in bondage, just like all the other nations. But you know what? Hezekiah does the very best thing he can do. When he sent his men out, he said, keep your mouth shut. Do not, do not respond to them. Why? Because... Secondly, Hezekiah's prayer. Hezekiah realized that prayer was a first response, not a last resort. Look look what happens here. Look at chapter 37 and verse 1. And so it was when King Hezekiah heard it that he tore his clothes, covered himself with sackcloth, went into the house of the Lord. Then he sent... Eliakim, who was over the household, Shebna, the scribe, and the elders of the priests covered with sackcloth, to Isaiah, the prophet, the son of Amos. Here's what's going to happen. Hezekiah knows what he needs to do. He goes, first of all, to the house of the Lord. He gathers up his leaders, uh, Eliakim, who's over the house of the Lord, and he said, I want you to go to the prophet. We need to hear from the Lord. We need to know what the Lord says on this matter. So he sends them there. But what does Hezekiah do? Verse 3, and they said to him, thus says Hezekiah, this day is a day of trouble and rebuke and blasphemy for the children have come to birth, but there is no strength to bring them forth. It may be that the Lord your God will hear the words of the Rabshakeh whom his master, the king of Assyria, has sent to reproach the living God, and will rebuke the words which the Lord your God has heard. Therefore, lift up your prayer 
for the remnant, remnant that is left. Listen, this is, this is important. This is huge. They understood that when they attacked the people of God, they were attacking God. Please pay attention. When you are confronted and when you are attacked, and especially in the day we live, with these various godless agendas, these atrocities that are <clears throat> coming up against us, when we are attacked in those ways, they're not attacking us. They're ultimately attacking God. When you attack God's people who are seeking to do His will in His way, you are attacking God. God is the real issue here. When they say you can't pray or you can't do this in public, they're not attacking you. They're attacking God. Isn't it amazing that in the United States of America you can pray any kind of weird religious prayer you want to pray, but don't you mention Jesus' name, they say. They're not attacking you. They're not attacking this church. They're attacking God. And when this trouble comes and Hezekiah sees it, and his, his religious leaders say, listen, God heard the words of Rabshakeh. He knows what he said and how he defied him. How he has been sent by the king of Assyria to reproach the living God. And he will rebuke the words which the Lord your God has heard. Therefore, lift your Lift your, up your prayer for the remnant that is left. Look at verse 5 of chapter 37. So the servants of King Hezekiah came to Isaiah. And Isaiah said to them, Hezekiah's been praying. He's lifted up his prayer to God. Now he's waiting to hear from God. Oh, don't we love to wait? Does anyone here like to wait? Has anyone here ever gone to the doctor and you're waiting on that test result and they call you on Friday at 1.30 and you happen to not be able to get your phone out fast enough and you call back the office and they closed at noon on Friday and you have to wait until Monday? Isn't waiting sometimes excruciating? Am I the only one that thinks so? I've been waiting six weeks on my truck and I really want to lash out but I'm just asking God to just... Call me. Call me. It's been wrecked and dealing with the insurance company and all that stuff, and I just want to, I hate waiting. Why do we hate waiting? I'll tell you why you hate waiting. Because when you wait, you're not in control. Anyone here struggle with wanting to be in control? Every one of us. It's called human nature. We want to be in control. We don't want to wait on God. The king sends them and they go to Isaiah. The servants of the king go to Isaiah. Look at verse 6. And Isaiah said to them, Thus you shall say to your master. This is what you're going to say to the master. I love this. This is the, one of the most beautiful parts of this. Isaiah says, This is what you're going to say to your master. Thus says the Lord. Remember when we were growing up, we used to hear commercial, commercials about E.F. Hutton? When E.F. Hutton talks, yes, everyone listens. 
That was a commercial. But in this matter, shouldn't that be true of every one of us? When we're faced by attacks of the enemy and we go to the Lord in prayer, should we not wait until we hear the word of the Lord? Now, some people will misunderstand that. Often, I believe, his word will come from his written word. His written word. Notice what Hezekiah and them didn't have the advantage we have. They, don't, they didn't have all 66 books recorded that we have. But they had prophets. They had good prophets that were men of God. That spoke on God's behalf. This is what he says. Thus says the Lord. Do not be afraid of the words which you have heard. Which the servants of the king of Assyria have blasphemed me. God knows exactly what's happened. He knew what was going to happen before it happened. And God knows that they're not simply attacking Judah, they are attacking him. They have blasphemed him. I love this. The Lord gives a promise. Verse 7. Surely I will send a spirit upon him, and he shall hear a rumor, and return to his own land, and I will cause him to fall by the sword in his own land. God says, don't you worry about Sennacherib. He's going to go back home, and when he goes back home, he's going to die in his own land. Verse 8, Then Rabshakeh returned and found the king of Assyria warring against Libna, for he heard that he had departed from Lachish. And the king heard concerning uh, Tirhaka, king of Ethiopia. He has come out to make war with you. So when he heard it, he sent messengers to Hezekiah, saying, Thus you shall speak to Hezekiah, king of Judah, saying, Do not let your God in whom you trust deceive you, saying, Jerusalem shall not be given into the hand of the king of Assyria. Hey, wait a minute. God's promise has already been given. It doesn't matter. It does not matter what Sennacherib says. He does not have the final word in it. God does. So you can say what you want to. You can say, don't, Hezekiah, don't you, trust, don't you trust in your God? You can say what you want to, Sennacherib, but I'm telling you, I'm telling you, God has already spoken. Verse 11, look, you have heard what the kings of Assyria have done to all the lands by utterly destroying them, <coughs> and shall you be delivered? Has, uh, Sennacherib's going to do the exact same thing the enemy always does. Same thing that we outlined earlier. He's going to rehearse all that stuff. That's all the enemy knows. Verse 12, Have the gods of the nations delivered those whom my fathers have destroyed, Gazan, Haran, Rezev, and the people of Eden who were in Telassar? Where is the king of Hamath, the king of Arpad, and the king of the city of Sepharim, Hena, and Iva. And Hezekiah received the letter from the hand of the messengers 
And he read it, this letter that came from Sennacherib, and he's reading all this. And Hezekiah went up to the house of the Lord, and he spread it out before the Lord. And what did Hezekiah do? He prayed. He prayed to the Lord, saying, Now let me ask you a question. How many of you have ever been worried? You've prayed about something, and, and you begin to worry about it? Sure. We'll pray, and... And then we'll feel good for a little bit after we pray, and then those thoughts came, come back, don't they? What do you do? You pray again. What do you do? You get a little bit of relief for a little bit, and you begin to worry. What do you do? You pray again. And at some point, if we spend more time in prayer than we do in worry, because I want to tell you a secret, God already knows. God already knows what he's going to do. God already knows what he's going to do. Look at what Hezekiah says. Look at verse 16. O Lord of hosts, God of Israel, the one who dwells between the cherubim, you are God. You alone of all the kingdoms of the earth, you have made heaven and earth. Hezekiah's got his mind right. He acknowledges who God is. I don't care what Sennacherib says about you, God. I know who you are. Verse 17, incline your ear. O Lord, hear. Open your eyes, O Lord, and see. And hear all the words of Sennacherib, which he has sent to, the, to reproach the living God. Truly, Lord, the kings of Assyria have laid waste all the nations and their lands. They've cast their gods into the fire, for they were not gods, but they were the work of men's hands, wood and stone. Therefore, they destroyed them. Now, therefore, O Lord our God, save us from his hand, that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you are the Lord, you alone. There's no one else in Hezekiah's mind, just God. Then, every word is important, when, then, after the prayer, Isaiah the son of Amos sent to Hezekiah saying, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, because you have prayed to me against Sennacherib king of Israel. What What? What? What did you say, Lord? Because you have prayed to me against Sennacherib, king of Israel, Assyria, excuse me. Now, let me just make sure you understand. God already knew he was going to do this. As a matter of fact, he already said he was going to do it. God didn't say, okay, Hezekiah, you prayed, I'm changing my mind, I guess I'll do what you want me to do. No, 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 no. Hezekiah's prayer was for Hezekiah. His prayer was changing his heart and his mind. Not changing the heart of God. Not changing the mind of God. For God does not change. It was changing his heart. Now notice what he says. This is the word which the Lord has spoken concerning him. Concerning who? Sennacherib. The virgin, the daughter of Zion, has despised you, laughed you to scorn. 
The daughter of Jerusalem has shaken her head behind your back, whom you have reproached and blasphemed, against you, whom you have raised your voice and lifted up your eyes on high against the Holy One of Israel. See, this has always been about God. It's not about Judah. It's about God. Judah's prayer, that everyone might know that you are God and you alone. It's about God. Whenever we stand against something in the community that might be going against what the Bible says and we do so, we're not standing to protect us. We're standing because God is the one whom we bow to. We're standing because we are submissive to Him. It's His glory, not ours. It's not personal with us. It's personal with God. And uh, God is, sends the message through Isaiah saying, you tell Sennacherib this. It's against the Holy One of Israel. Verse 24, by your servants you have reproached the Lord and said, by the multitude of my chariots I have come up to the height of mountains. To the limits of Lebanon I will cut down as tall cedars and as choice cypress trees. I will enter into the farthest height to its fruitful forest. I have dug and drunk water, and with the soles of my feet I have dried up all the brooks of defense. Did you not hear long ago how I made it from ancient times that I formed it? Now I have brought it to pass that you should be for crushing fortified cities into heap of ruins. Therefore, their inhabitants had little power. They were dismayed and confounded. They were as grass of the field and the green herb, as the grass on the housetops, and the grain blighted before it was grown. But I know your dwelling place. You're going out and you're coming in, and your rage against me. Because your rage against me and your tumult, I have come, have come up to my ears. Therefore, I will put a hook in your nose, my bridle in your lips, and I will turn you back by the way which you came. Man, this is, this is good. God says, because you come against me, I'm going to put a hook in your nose, and I'm going to send you back to where you came from. And you're not going to like it when you get there. Because I've read the rest of the chapter. Verse 30, this shall be a sign to you. You shall eat this year such as, as grows of itself. In the second year what springs from the same. Also in the third year sow and reap. Plant vineyards and eat the fruit of them. And the remnant who have escaped the house of Judah shall again take root downward and bear fruit upward. For out of Jerusalem shall go a remnant and those who escape from Mount Zion, the zeal of the Lord of hosts, will do this. God says, listen, I've got you. You're going to plant, and you're going to reap what you plant. And then, lastly, the Lord's protection. Therefore, thus says the Lord concerning the king of Israel, he shall not come into this city. He will not so much as even shoot one arrow there. Nor come before it with a shield, nor build a siege mount against it. 
by the way that he came, by the same shall he return. And he shall not come into this city, says the Lord, for I, this is it right here, for I will defend this city to save it. Why, Lord? For my own sake and for my servant David's sake. Why? Because he had made a promise that there will one sit on the throne forever. And God's not going to break his promises. He will keep his promises. I love this. For I will defend this city. Hezekiah, the best thing you can do is the best thing you did do. And that is depend on the Lord. Trust the Lord. Wait on Him. Honor Him. And let Him fight your battles. Now look at verse 36. This is really amazing. Then the angel of the Lord went out and killed in the camp of the Assyrians 185,000. And when the people arose early in the morning, there were corpses all dead. So Sennacherib, king of Assyria, departed and went away and returned home and remained at Nineveh. What did God say he would do? I'll put a hook in your nose and turn you around, and you're going to go home the same way. You'll never even go in the city. You won't shoot one arrow. You won't bring your shield in. You won't do anything. And he turned tail and went back. Let me just tell you, it is a dangerous thing when you go against God. Look what happens in verse 38. Now it came to pass, as he was worshiping in the house of Nisroch, his god, that his sons, Adramelech and Sherezer, struck him down with the sword, and they escaped into the land of Ararat. Then Esarhaddon, his son, reigned in his place. He goes back home and he goes into his false temple and worships, worships a false god. And guess what happens? His own sons kill him. His own sons kill him. Now let me just say this real quickly. Five things I'd like to tell you from this. Number one, the Lord knows all about our problems. The Lord knows all about our problems. I don't know that... Um, so I know, and I, 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 let me just say, I know for a fact when we're dealing with problems, many a times that's all we can think about. When we're facing something that is severe, severe trouble, that's all we can think about. But one thing to remember is the Lord knows exactly where we are. He knows exactly where we are. He knows exactly what we're going through. And the very thing that might help us through the thing we're going through is the very thing that's hard for us to do. Why? Because don't forget, in those times of vulnerability, that's when the enemy comes to you. That's when the enemy attacks you. That's when the enemy says, I'm going to get you. And look at these people. They're, 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 they're uh, all these other people that's had this cancer. All these other people that's had this. All these other people that's done this. Look at, they're, they're all gone. And the enemy will taunt you. But you need to know, and I need to know, that the Lord knows exactly where we are. Number two, we must first turn to the Lord when problems come. The first place we ought to go when the trouble comes 
is to the Lord. To the Lord. And we turn to Him and we pray. And we pray our most sincere prayers are when we're most in trouble. Would you agree with that statement? When we're really in a bad situation, that's when we're sincere. We don't care about anything else going on. We've got to get in touch with God. One man has said the reason God allows trouble in our lives is because we wouldn't talk to Him any other times. We must first turn to the Lord when the problems come. Number three, we must wait on the Word of the Lord. You start worrying, pick up your Bible. But let me tell you, church, I want to tell you this, and I don't make light of this. There may come a time when you're so distraught, you pick up the Word and you, you, you can't even hardly read it. There may come a time in your life, and there may have already, may has all, it may have already come, I should say, in your life. But just wait on the Lord. Number four, we must put ourselves under the protection of the Lord. How do we put ourselves under the protection of the Lord? Well, Hezekiah went and prayed. And what did he do? He sent for the prophet. And the prophet was going to get, they, he had to have God's word on it. And he did exactly what the prophet told him to do. And I would equate that to us. We must put ourselves under the protection of the Lord. We must be faithfully obedient to the word of of God, the Scriptures. The reason why we encourage Bible study, the reason why we encourage you to do it yourself and to read the Bible every day, the reason we encourage that is because there's coming a time when you're going to need it. Really, we need it every day. But there's going to come a big time in your life when that's all you have and you need it. And if you hide God's Word in, his heart, in your heart, you'll be able to to use it. You'll be able to recall it. You'll be able to use it in your life to help you. And number five, I would say this. This is the big overlying theme here. The greatest threat to our peace, to our safety, to our deliverance is independence from God. Zechariah 4, 6 said this, Not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. Jesus was absolutely sincere in John chapter 15 when he said, Without me, you can do nothing. The greatest insult in the life of the believer is to tell God, either by action or by word or by deed, I do not need you. Oh, the enemy will come and he will try to get you. He will try to get you away and isolated he will try to taunt you. He will rehearse all the people that's been in your situation that's failed. But you remember what God told Isaiah to tell Hezekiah. I will defend this city. I will defend this city. When problem comes... Problems come. Pray to the Lord. Cling to His promises. Wait on His protection. He will defend that city. You'll be glad you did. Would you pray with me? Father, we love you, Lord. We thank you, God, for your grace and your mercy.